The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, folks, we are back refreshed, rejuvenated, and ready to talk Mopars. Welcome to episode number 72. This is the first episode of the three-episode drop that I told you was coming to help bring you up to speed with what's happening in my Mopar world. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Okay, where did we leave off when I was talking about buying a used scat pack? I think I was just shown the dealer's initial offer, which of course was insane, but because they like to peel you off the ceiling, there is always room for negotiation. As a well-informed buyer, you need to know your numbers before you even step onto that dealer lot. You should know how much your trade is worth. You should also decide what you're willing to accept for your trade. You need to know the typical retail values of the vehicles you're interested in, and ideally, you will already have decided how much you are willing to spend, either monthly or how much you're comfortable paying out the door. I like to figure out where I need to be as far as the out-the-door price, and that term out-the-door basically means the price you will pay when everything is said and done and you're walking out or driving away in your new car. If you know your out-the-door price, then it just becomes a matter of fine-tuning the numbers, and that can be difficult. I know where I needed to be as far as money goes, and when they handed me their initial offer, we were miles apart. And... You know, you factor in my trade value, and then everything, of course, changed. So the first thing I said was, you guys need to take the service contract and maintenance plan off of these numbers here. That was six grand worth of stuff that I wasn't even interested in and didn't need. And it's always good to get a service contract with used vehicles, but don't be fooled. They are always ridiculously marked up, and there is typically a lot of negotiation room with that number. The same goes for gap insurance, which they also had factored into the numbers. And that is also negotiable. And sometimes if you're financing, your bank can even give you a better deal. Like mine was willing to give me gap insurance for 500 bucks. So you can ask the dealer, you know, to match or beat that price. I do believe that gap is important to save you if you end up in a situation where you end up getting in an accident, but you owe more than your vehicle's worth. That's where gap comes in to save the day. So I always say, you know... (laughs) If you don't want a service contract, you should at least get gap insurance. But as far as the service contract goes, they're also really negotiable. So be sure to have them work with you on that. You know, they might say, okay, we'll give you a $6,000 or a $5,000 service contract. And then you look into the contract itself and it really doesn't cover as much as you would hope a five dollars or $6,000 service contract would cover. You know, so maybe look at the service contract, see what they're offering. And if it's not worth six grand to you, don't pay six grand or whatever the price may be. Um, I like to negotiate it, you know, to because they, they mark them up so much. You know, you could probably get a $5,000 service contract for around a grand, you know, and that's, you know, that's, I'm just throwing that out there. 
that may not be the exact number, but you can definitely, definitely negotiate that, at least in all the situations I've been in. The most important number in all this isn't your trade-in value at all, and it actually isn't even your down payment. The most important number here is the out-the-door price, because once you know that, the math on everything else becomes clear once you also establish what your interest rate is and the term of your loan if you are financing. So you get all those numbers and you know, okay, this is how much I'm paying out the door. This is what my monthly payment is for how long, you know? So personally, I also think it's much easier just to get pre-approved from your bank or whatever bank you choose. That way you already know what your all-in costs can be. And anything less than what you're approved for can be considered a win. I didn't even get that far with this first dealer because I wasn't planning on sitting at the table or actually buying this car, but I was curious to see some numbers, so that's what I did. I went in, sat down after the test drive, and we started talking numbers. And what I saw was no surprise. But since a deal clearly wasn't going to be made, I just took the time to see how they would justify the offer they gave me for my trade. So I'm going to go ahead and be honest here and say that my truck is valued anywhere from low book at like 11000 to high book at 13 and change. They offered me nine grand. They tried to justify it by saying that my truck had a collision listed on the Carfax, and that's true. I was rear-ended a year and a half before and had the bumper and tow hitch replaced along with some paintwork on one side of the bed. So they explained that as an issue as well as the lack of options that my truck was equipped with. That's how they justified the $9,000 offer, which I thought was ridiculous. Now, if they had come to me with like 11 thousand or something like that or eleven five, I would have understood that and I would have just been able to there would have been a, a smaller gap to close as far as what I wanted for the truck. So that's all fine and dandy, but because of the internet, I knew what their car was actually worth and theirs had two prior accidents which they tried to justify as not being anything major. My issue was that their sale price was the same as the high retail price. So I said, look, guys, if my trade is devalued that big of a percentage, I believe, to be fair, you should lower your sale price in the same way that you devalued my trade. And then they tried to backpedal, of course, and immediately offered me more for my trade. So, you know, I basically laughed in their face and thanked them for their time and did the classic, you know, get up and walk away routine. They knew we were miles apart and offered to get me even closer to what I wanted for my trade, which they did ask me about. I wanted around $12,000, so I just stuck with, um, 12,500, hoping they get me to 12. At the end of the day, I walked away because I didn't want another vehicle with an accident history. Had it not had a multiple accident history and we worked out the trade situation, it may have been a different deal. I may have bought the car. The one thing I did like was that they were pretty straightforward with the numbers and they didn't use a four square, but it got me thinking, I wonder how many dealers still operate in such a shady way. I feel that some of the tactics that were used when devaluing my trade but, you know, them also being unwilling to devalue theirs on the same basis and trying to squeeze me for more info to use against me later and the low ball on my trade, then the immediate increase in trade offer, I just feel like that's shady. And I feel like in today's day and age, the BS sales tactics of the past when buying cars should be just that, a thing of the past. But, you know, I have to quickly remember that there's a sucker born every minute and a lot of them have to buy cars, but I'm not going to be one of those now you know, especially since I'm onto their games. Now that I'm older and I've done a few car deals and, you know, I know people in the business, it's easier for me to see, you know, through their BS. But after driving a Scat Pack Charger, I realized that it would definitely be the perfect compromise between a family car and a fun performance car. So I set out to find one and I actually considered a few of them, 
um, after the white one with the accidents, I found one that actually fit my needs and even had a pre-approval from the bank that I chose. The numbers worked out and I walked into the dealership expecting to start signing paperwork after I do the normal test drive just to be sure the car wasn't going to fall apart on me as soon as I leave the lot. Um, the car was cool. It was a, it was a black 2019 Dodge Charger Scat Pack and it had the brass monkey package on it, it had the nice wheels. Um, so it was black with like the bronze wheels and, um, it had every option that I wanted with the exception of the premium leather and suede combo interior, but I was willing to live with that because I had some money to play with. And I was like, I'll just, you know, have a custom interior put in if I really want it that bad, you know, so everything else was good. And the backstory is that I actually worked on the negotiation for this car for a few days with the salesperson via phone and text message. I finally got the numbers I was comfortable with, but there was a red flag that I should have recognized as a shady practice of a dealer that I just should have walked away from. And one reason why I negotiated over the phone was because I knew my wife would want to drive down to the dealership because she was also a co-signer for my loan. And the dealer was an hour away and we would have to bring our daughter with us who's a year and a half old. So you can imagine sitting in a dealership with a year and a half year old you know, for hours upon hours, that that would have been a nightmare. And I'm sure some of you parents out there will feel the same way as we did. We didn't want to be stuck in a dealership with a young child who's going to get bored and crankly so quick. So the thing that threw the red flag into the air for me was the way the final round of negotiation went. I told them how much they needed to come down for me to come down and buy the car. And here's what they did. Instead of just giving me a discount on the sale price or more for my trade, they started spreading the money over a bunch of different things. A little off the price of the car, a little more money on my trade, a little less for gap insurance, etc. But I also noticed that they were claiming a discount of around $1,300 because of the tax savings of trading in my car since the state was giving me a trade allowance and they were going to only tax the price of the car after the trade was factored in. To me, that money was neither here nor there because it really didn't change anything as far as the numbers on the paper went. That trade allowance would happen no matter what, and they were actually presenting it as a discount on the car that they gave. That was red flag number one, and yes, it gets better. Thinking that this was going to be the easiest car deal in the world, since everything was already negotiated, and I had a pre-approval from my bank, you know, and it was more than I had to worry about spending on this particular car... I loaded up the wife and kid and took the hour drive down to the dealership. But upon arrival, we were immediately sat down and we were asked for some information. The questions were pretty standard, but then questions started to come up about our income and other questions that are generally only asked when you apply for a loan. And my spidey sense kicked in and I asked the salesperson if they were running our credit because I didn't want that done unnecessarily since we had already you know, arranged a loan and we already had it ready to go. We just needed to do the paperwork. And, you know, obviously I needed to drive the car. The salesperson assured me that the questions were asked of every customer and they were really standard, insinuating that no credit check would happen. That was the second red flag. And at this point, I had already looked over the car and other than a crappy detail job and a couple relatively minor imperfections in the paint, you know, a couple chips, a couple scratches, I was generally happy with the car. The only spot I was really disappointed about was a good-sized rock chip in the hood that had been touched up, and it was touched up a little carelessly. And I know I've done better jobs on crappier vehicles when I was detailing cars, but none of these were issues that would make me not buy the car. So now that the info had been taken from both myself and my wife, 
we sat and I patiently waited for both the paperwork and the keys to take this car for a test drive since I was buying it. I figured that my wife could start the paperwork while I went and took a quick spin just to make sure that everything worked as it should and the car wasn't going to blow up. Instead, we waited. And waited. And waited. We even asked multiple times what was taking so long, and they just kept stalling, and it was really weird. They were also stalling on me driving the car, which was really starting to piss me off. After all, I was ready to buy it. I was going to buy the car. And that night, it would have been mine anyway, so let's just get this show on the road. Let me drive it. That way I can set my mind at ease. But their excuse was that it was a little bit of a hassle to get it out of the showroom since that's where the car was. That was suspicious to me, but they definitely sensed my wife and I both starting to get very impatient, and they finally took a few minutes to pull the car out of the showroom so I could actually drive the damn thing. I took it for a quick spin, and the salesperson was really annoying. They kept saying you know, jokingly, you know, try not to kill him, yada, yada. You know, the car is powerful, so we don't let everybody just test drive him, yada, yada. I almost told him to shut up, you know, but I assured them that it wasn't my first rodeo and I'd driven these cars before and just to relax. The drive was quick and everything seemed okay, but I told them that my wife and I were obviously starting to get irritated and we didn't understand what was taking so long. And, you know, we have a young child and her bedtime was coming up fast and we needed to get on the damn road. Plus, my wife hadn't eaten any dinner. You know, it was, di it was well past dinner time at this point. So, you know, I'm starting to get hangry. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know my wife was hangry too. But we get back to the dealership, and there is still more waiting. And it's just blowing my mind. As we're sitting there getting irritated, you know, even more irritated as the seconds pass, you know, because we were already irritated, don't get me wrong, but we were getting more irritated and still not quite understanding why it was taking so long. Then all of a sudden, my wife gets a bunch of email notifications at the same time, in addition to a phone call from a credit union as we are sitting there. The pieces of crap were actually running our credit after I told them that it was unnecessary because we had already locked in a loan from our bank. So I angrily marched over to the sales manager's desk and said, Hey, did you run my credit after I specifically told you that I already had my money situation handled? And of course, the dumb shit started stumbling over his words, and I didn't even let him finish before I said, give me my effing keys. And my family and I stormed out of the dealership. My wife was actually behind me when we walked out, and she stopped at the sales desk to tell him, you guys effing blew it. <laughs> you know, we were ready to buy the car. I just, you know, I was so mad that I just stormed out. My wife, thankfully, she was right behind me. But... We get in my truck and we're driving home and I just cannot believe what had just transpired at that place. I was literally ready to buy that car, but they had to dick around and try to be shady. See, what those pieces of trash were doing was they were running my credit in hopes that they could get a bank to beat the interest rate that I had already locked in from my bank so that they could pad it with a couple percentage points. Well, it basically... Yeah, I'm sorry. Thinking about this is starting to piss me off all over again. But what they want to do is, like, say you go in and you get your credit ran. And they go through, like, a credit union direct lending or something like that. They have a bunch of different banks that offer them, you know, that give a bunch of offers. And sometimes people get more than one offer. And if they see, like, say they're looking at three different percentage rates. They're looking at one for 6%, one for 4% and one for, you know, 3%. They're going to go, okay, let's give them, let's, let's 
tell them they got approved, we'll use the 3% loan and we'll add 2% on it, bringing the total percentage to 5%, which is still a decent APR, but they're padding it, you know? So they're just lining their pockets. The issue that I really had with this dealership was that I told them not to. I was perfectly comfortable with my percentage rate because I was comfortable with the bank because I've done deals with them in the past and I already had a current car loan through them. So I didn't want to get, you know, hassled and deal with the BS of running my credit again, which is why I got pre-approved in the first place to avoid all this, you know, hassle. They were just being greedy and once again, trying to present themselves as the good guy, trying to get me a good deal and a better percentage rate. What a crock of you know what. You know, the interest rate tactic that these dealerships, you know, not all dealerships do it, but most do. You know, I, okay, I shouldn't say most do, but there are dealerships out there that do this interest rate tactic, and it makes me sick. The funny thing is how many people, and it's not even funny. I shouldn't even say that. The, the horrible part is that there are people that still fall for this. And did you know that you can even ask the dealership how much of a cut they are taking on the interest rate and they have to tell you? I bet this happens all the time. I bet people get screwed all the time. They get you a loan and then they get you a great interest rate and add a couple percentage points to pad their wallets. And then they pass that cost on to you. So if you do get financing through the dealership, it would be a smart idea to tell them that you want the sales manager to actually show you the approval from the bank just to make sure they're not padding it a little bit. I believe that you can request that and they have to show you. So we left that dealership with no scat pack and a horrible experience. And thankfully, I had another car on my list. And it wasn't a scat pack, but it was a charger with the Daytona package. And the next day, uh, I was so mad about you know the experience that I had. I was like, I'm going to go look at this other one. So I set out to drive an hour in the other direction. This time I'm going an hour north to see if this other dealership could give me a deal and hopefully be a better experience than the last dealership. What was funny was that when I got to the dealer, I saw the Daytona and next to it was the white charger that I had test drove at the other dealership. Um, the first charger I looked at. The dealerships are part of the same family of dealers. So while I was surprised to see the car again, and I thought it was funny that it was sitting next to the car I was about to test drive and try to buy, I wasn't too shocked. I ended up driving the Daytona 2 and actually sitting down and trying to work a deal, knowing all my numbers from the other deal and already you know, having the pre-approval, so I knew how much that was for, and I knew how much I was willing to buy the car for, and I knew what I wanted for my trade. But you know, that's you know, being an informed buyer. You know, you know where you need to be in order to make this car deal happen. And, you know, in the end, after less than an hour of negotiation, we we're only 1500 bucks apart, you know, from what I wanted for my trade. Basically, that was the only issue I had. They didn't want to budge on the price of their car because they said that was their sales price and they couldn't go any lower. OK, I don't care. You know, if that's the case, then I'm not going to budge on what I want for my trade. If you're not budging on your sales price, then I'm not budging on what I want for my trade. And what I wanted at that point was 12500 That's how much I wanted for my trade. Again, I ended up walking out on that deal as well because I knew exactly where I wanted to be and they weren't willing to come up. So it is what it is. After that situation, there were a couple of other chargers that I just didn't get around to seeing or working a deal on because after the experiences that I already had, you know, I was kind of over it. I was kind of over the idea of buying a charger and I just didn't want to deal with the hassle because 
first of all, there weren't that many to choose from in the area. So, you know, I kept finding myself having to, you know, settle for certain things. And I just, you know, at this point, it's like, if I'm going to be spending all this money, I might as well get exactly what I want. So, you know, I started thinking about it and I was like, you know what, maybe I could just order a charger. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, if I'm going to be spending this much money, I might as well get the exact one I want. So I actually went to a dealership and wrote up a purchase order for a car that I was going to order from the factory. And once again, had all the numbers and I knew exactly where I needed to be. And I told them that I was pretty transparent with this one. I told them exactly where I needed to be as far as numbers. And I gave the order to the guy who handles that. And he said, Oh, yeah, I think we can make this happen. And I was like, Okay, cool. I'm not going to wait around to find out. So why don't you give me a call when you figure out what we need to do. And I told them I have a bunch of cash. So I got money down if the gap is big, I can close that gap. Because at this point, I was like, all right, if I'm going to order one, I know that I'm going to be paying, you know, and it's brand new. So hopefully I can get some rebates and all that good stuff. And I was even prepared to run my credit just to see if I could get a loan through Chrysler, um, Chrysler Capital, which is their, um, their own in-house financing, basically, it's the um, manufacturer's financing. Because um, I heard you can get really good percentage rates on new cars. But I, uh, I opted for a pretty bare bones wide body scat pack with a leather and suede interior and a sunroof. Those are pretty much the only options. So I had the plus package and a sunroof. Everything else was as standard as I could get. But for whatever reason, like I said, I gave them the order form, told them where I needed to be financially, and they told me it shouldn't be a problem. And I said, call me. And they didn't. They never called me. You know, and... It was only a $1,000 deposit to get a car ordered. So I was like, if it's going to be a brand new car and exactly what I want, I have no problems. No problems giving you a 1000 bucks. And if we're a little bit, like I said, a little bit far apart, you know, I have cash. I can close that gap a little bit easier. But they eventually called me back, you know, like a week later. And when I expressed my disappointment in the fact that they never called me later that day because I was ready to order a car, um, you know, I said they could make it up to me just by simply giving me the info that I asked for. You know, I said, Hey, you know, it's been a while since I talked to you guys and I was expecting a phone call. I never got it, but Hey, you know, I'm still interested in ordering a car. Let me know what the numbers are. And I thought I made it clear that when I put the order for the car together, whatever the lowest number was, let me know because I have the resources to bring cash to the table for a down payment if that's what was necessary to get the numbers to a point that I was comfortable with. But again, they said they'd get back to me and they never did. So now I had my sights set on a new wide body, but there was only one, you know, within my price range in the area. And it was Go Mango. You know, that was the color, Go Mango. I saw it online and it had a nice rebate and a nice sales price that put it right in my price range. So I actually took my family to go see it because it was really local. And I wanted to really see if I liked the color on the car, you know, because it's one thing, you know, seeing it in pictures and stuff. But, you know, if you're going to go for a crazy color like Go Mango, and I knew I liked the color, but I had never seen it on a wide body charger in person. So I wanted to go see it. So we went out to look at the car. And when we got there, I absolutely loved it. I was like, oh, this is it. If I can get this one, this is this is cool. I like this one. You know, because it was kind of wild and it kind of stood out from the crowd. And I like that. Um, but I looked at the sales price 
or at the sticker price on the window, and after the MSRP, which is the manufacturer's suggested retail price, there was nearly a $10,000 second sticker or a dealership markup. So that brought the price well above $50,000, which was around $17,000 more than the internet price that was advertised online. So when I questioned the price, the salesperson had to go see if they could even honor the price with the sales manager, which I thought was ridiculous. And of course they wouldn't, not couldn't, but they wouldn't. And they were trying to tell me, well, it's the only, it's the only one around in this color, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, you know, save, save the BS for somebody else, you know. But what I really thought was funny was while one of the salespeople was going to see if they could get me the internet price or if that was even a legit price, I asked a couple other people, you know, hey, how long has this, how long has this car been on the lot? And I thought it was funny that I got two different answers and both of them were lies because what they didn't know is that I have resources available where I can find out how long a car has been on the lot and I can even see the prices as they're being adjusted. So if a car comes on the lot and they put it at, say, 45000 I can see if they raised or lowered the price and how long they've had it and when they raised or lowered the price. So I already knew this information, and I knew the car had been there for, you know, a little bit more than, what is it, 30 days. It had been there for a little bit over a month. And one salesperson told me, oh, it's been here for like a few days or a week. And then the other one said, oh, it's been here for a couple weeks. <laughs> so I was like... And you know the car. The car's in the showroom. It's been in the showroom since he got it. You know damn well how long that car's been there. There's no need to lie, you know. So I actually told them, you know, when I told them I was a little disappointed and why would I buy this one for over $50,000, you know, when I can order one that has better options for less, <laughs> you know. The one I was going to order from the factory was a couple grand less. And they pretty much had the same options, except for the one I was going to get had um, the plus package. So it had the nice leather and suede interior. But, you know, <laughs> I told them I was going to order one from a different dealership. And the guy told me, and, and what I said was, I can get one exactly how I want it, ordered for less, and have it in like three months. Because that's what the other dealership that I was going to order the car from had told me. But um, one of these sales people was a pompous prick. And he told me that the other dealer was full of, you know, what, and that there was no way they were going to get me the car in three months. Okay, whatever. I don't care. But just his attitude alone, I, it was a crap attitude. And they would have lost my business based on their crap attitude alone. So I ended up moving on from that one too. And. There was one more scat pack locally that I liked. It was like a brand new car, but it was at a Chevy dealer. It was, it had five, check this out. It had 500 miles. So whoever bought this car and it was in a rich, and it was in a rich or a more wealthy city, though the millionaires per capita is probably huge in this area. Um, it's basically the tech area of Washington. And um, I ended up thinking to myself, well, I mean, this one's priced really well. It's priced just under what a brand new one would cost. You know, it's still pretty much brand new. And it was F8 green, which I thought was really cool. And it had all the options. I mean, this thing was loaded, um, with the exception of it didn't have the um, dynamics package or whatever. So it didn't have the bigger wheels. But other than that, it was everything I wanted. So 
I was almost ready to go look at it, but something kind of pulled me back. I was headed out to look at it twice, and both times I ultimately decided I, you know, I came up with some sort of stupid excuses of why I wasn't going to go do it. And, you know, so I didn't get that one either, and it was sold like a week after I decided that buying a scat pack wasn't going to be the best decision at this point anyway, and that I would just wait, which is what I've what I've come to the conclusion of right now. So um, I want a scat pack charger, but apparently right now is not the time, and there's just not enough of a selection locally that, you know, other than ordering one from a dealer, which apparently isn't going to happen in three months, I guess, you know, because of this chip shortage or whatever. So there was too many uncertainties, and I just... I just wasn't feeling anymore. I lost my motivation on a scat pack charger because I thought maybe, you know, I could use the money that I would be making as far as a monthly payment. I could use that money elsewhere um, with another Mopar project. Actually, that's what I was thinking. And I came to the conclusion that, you know, instead of buying the scat pack, I'd get another Mopar project, but the next one would be running and driving. And you know, why would I be looking for a running and driving Mopar when I already had two Mopar projects in the garage that were basically stalled? Well, that's where the story gets interesting, but that's going to be on the second episode of this three episode drop. So listen to the next episode to find out. Spoiler alert, sometime while in the midst of looking for a scat pack charger and test driving the cars, I actually made the decision to sell both my Dart and my D100 so that I could start from scratch with a new Mopar project. And little did I know where that path would eventually lead me, but I'll get into more of the who, why, and what's on the next episode of this three-episode drop. That's it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast and to find all the merch that you can order to help support the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And to hear your story on the show, either call it in to hear yourself tell it by leaving me a message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR. Or if you're shy, you can email the stories to me so that I can tell them on the show. And you can email those stories to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Before we shut this episode down, I need to tell you about some changes to my social media. Now, all my social media is at Talking Mopar's Podcast. If you already follow and like the Mopar Hunter social media accounts, then no worries. I simply just changed the at to consolidate my accounts and make my life a little bit easier. So, to sum it all up, soon at Talking Mopar's will be gone, and the only social media accounts that I will have on Facebook and Instagram will be at Talking Mopars Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this first episode of the three-episode drop. Once these are done, we'll get back to the show's regular format, and we're going to be having more Direct Connections episodes and more live streams. So, stay tuned. I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.